last week, but we had a bit of a wind windstorm that was cruising through. But uh, Jesse Rognes single-handedly put up this plexiglass on these slats right here to knock down the, the wind. So stoked that he could do that by himself. I was like, are you sure you don't need a hand? And he was like, no, it's just, it's just getting in the way. Just, just let me do it. I'll be fine. Got a lift and, and took care of us. So just so you know, um, we did that. And then we've got some heat coming at some point. <laughs> we had Northwest Natural. I think I was talking to Tim, who said they're going to come out in the next week or so and give us an estimate about getting gas to, to the barn and then piping it up here and maybe um, having some heaters that hang from the ceiling which will help out, obviously, quite a bit. So if you're interested in helping us pay for that, uh, that would be awesome. So we've had a few people that, that are willing to, to step up. So if you also want to help with that, um, we would be happy to take your money from you. <laughs> so just, just know that. Okay, listen, I told you, or I was just praying, we got the Easter Sunday. Easter's coming early this year okay we got easter sunday that we're that we're landing on in luke um and this is a big deal but before we get there i want to tell a story about my illustrious wrestling career in middle school okay it's pretty pretty epic uh career i had in the seventh grade wrestling so i um we had this uh this match at whitaker middle school in kaiser and my opponent the guy that i was matched up with was a tall and skinny guy. As a short and squatty guy, I hate wrestling tall and skinny guys. You guys just like John. Where, where are you at, John? I mean, these guys are the, the worst because, you know, I'm ready to wrestle somebody and they're just long and lanky, like tentacles. Seem like you don't know what to grab or what to wrestle. The worst part about wrestling a tall and skinny guy is that they can get short guys into a cradle. I don't know if you wrestled at all, but the cradle is like, it's my arch nemesis in, in wrestling. It's so easy because they're so long, they can wrap you up under the leg and then they, they tilt you backwards and, and I can't get out of it and it's awful. So I start wrestling this tall and skinny guy, trying to hold my own, you know, do, doing okay. And then ah, the cradle shows up and I'm on my back you know, squirming around, trying not to get pinned. I don't want to get pinned. Don't get pinned. And his hands are right in front of me. So I'm like trying to break this guy's hands. Well, if you break the hands, then you got a chance of getting up and, and getting free. So I'm struggling. And then I hear the ref start counting. Okay, that usually means somebody's back is on the, on the mat. So I hear one, two, three, pin. And I'm on my back and I've been squirreling around, making sure not to get pinned while I try to get out of this. And I'm like, what happened? I did not get pinned. There's no way. And I'm upside down, right? And I'm looking and I can see my coach like, woo, yeah. And I'm just as confused as can be because I was in the cradle. Typically the one in the cradle is the one that gets pinned. So I get up and I'm, you know, I'm trying to figure out what's going on. So I'm, you know, my coach is still jumping up and down. I can't figure out what happened yet. I'm arguing with the ref like, uh, what do you mean I was pinned? Like, there's no way. How could you? And he's looking at me like, why is a seventh grader like arguing with me? And he, like, you know, just dismisses, dismisses me, grabs my hand. And, you know, he grabs the opponent's hand and he raises my hand at the end of the match. And I'm like, what? Like, I won? Are you, are you serious? I won the match? 
And I still, like, just slow, I guess. Did, couldn't figure it out. I walk over to my uh, coach, and he's like, dude, he pinned himself. <laughs> you won. He had you in the cradle, but he didn't know how to use it, and he was laying flat on his back. You won. That's my, that's, that's when you know you have an illustrious career. When your greatest victory was on accident, you know? That's embarrassing. You just spilled water on me. Okay, so what does that have to do with anything? Not much, really. Um, so that little story is kind of the example of what we're reading today, that the passage that we're in. The, uh, like, defeat, supposed defeat, turned, like, uncertainty and confusion, resulting in a victory, is what we got in this passage. I don't know if you picked up on it, if you were paying attention, but these guys, the followers of Jesus, they just watched him get crucified. They're devastated. They're defeated. They're, they're um, depressed. They're scared. And then they go to the tomb where they saw Jesus laying, and he's gone. What happened to Jesus? Where did Jesus go? And, they don't, of course, they don't remember anything that Jesus told them. Then the angels show up, and they start to figure it out. They're saying, wait a second. Wait, he's not dead? He's alive? Are you, are you sure? Are you serious? I'm perplexed, these, uh, the women were. And then they start to figure it out. Wait, we did lose? I, all is not lost? Actually, he rose from the dead? I can't believe it. We've got victory. Like this story is the turn. Okay, this is the turn from... You know, the, the disciples and the followers of Jesus didn't know what was going on. They didn't get it. And we're seeing kind of in slow motion, the wheels are starting to turn. Light bulbs are going off and they're finally figuring it out. Oh, oh, he's going to rise again, just like he told us. And then they figure out that they've got victory. And the rest of the New Testament is the working out of that. Okay, this, but this is the moment. This is the big, this is the big reveal. This is the... This is the climax. This is the best part of the Christian faith. Going from uncertainty to victory. That's, our, that's what we're going to focus on. Going from like, I don't know, seems kind of far-fetched. The gospel's kind of funny. He rose from the dead? Seriously? You don't, I, don't, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure I believe it. To, you know, I, I can't believe it. It actually is true. Resulting in victory finding victory in the resurrection that's it's true of my life that's the best part of my christian faith was the initial turn and honestly it happens weekly now I just, just this week i'm grinding on on stuff stuff stressful and i'm on monday i was like ah you know fighting fighting through it and we read this devotional in a staff meeting that we do with the with the church and once again i sit back and go oh yeah that's right he rose from the dead. He conquered all this. What am I so upset about? I'm not defeated. We've got victory in Jesus, in his resurrection. And just repeat, rinse and repeat, right? Over and over and over again. Uncertainty turned victory. That's our focus today. Let me um, paraphrase a little bit of the, of the scripture that we're reading before we get into the details. Uh, Joseph of Arimathea, well, I'll even go last week, 
right? Jesus was on the cross. He took his last breath into your hands. I commit my spirit, Lord. Jesus dies on the cross, and that's it. It is finished at that point. And then this guy, Joseph of Arimathea, a rich guy, uh, one, of the Jewish, one of the Jewish leaders, grabs Jesus' body, wraps him in uh, linen cloth, uh, gets a tomb for him, lays him in the tomb, and then these women of Galilee actually see Jesus laying in the tomb. So they got eyes on him. They see him dead, laying there. Okay? You might be asking, where are the disciples? Where are the apostles during all this? Where, where have they been? These guys are scared out of their minds. The, 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 the man, the savior of the world that they've just been following around for years just got crucified, and they're devastated. They think that the Jewish leaders are coming for them next. So they're sitting in a room, not willing to, to get out and, and tempt it. They're gonna let the they're gonna let the ladies go out and take care of take care of them. Nice job. Yeah, nice job. Nice job, fellas. So let me pick it up. We're gonna we're gonna reread, because I think it's good to to read this a couple times to, to stay on track here. Let me read uh, I'm gonna start in chapter twenty four, verse one. We're gonna read a couple of verses here. Or actually we're gonna read like eight of them. On the first day of the week at early dawn they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. So they saw Jesus' body. These are the, the, the gals of Galilee, right? They saw Jesus' body on Friday, on Good Friday. They went home for the Sabbath. Now they're headed back on Sunday to go bring some spices and to embalm Jesus. They went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, confused, uncertain. Um, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? That's key. We're probably going to come back to that in a second. He's not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise and they remembered his words okay so what we observe from this they they thought he was dead they saw him in the tomb they went back to the tomb he's gone what where did he go why isn't he here we just saw him here they're they're confused they didn't remember everything that Jesus said and then thanks to the angels that came in and and helped him out and said, remember, Jesus told you all this. You actually shouldn't be perplexed by this. You should have remembered, but they didn't. It's all right. We'll give them a pass on that. And then the angels asked them a question. Why do you look for the living among the dead? Why are you looking for a guy that's alive in a grave? Graves are for dead people. Jesus isn't, uh, Jesus isn't dead. He's alive. How foolish. You're looking for looking for alive people or, or an alive person in the grave. What can we learn from that? How do we look for the living among the dead? We often will go to the tomb and we look to find life and things that bring death. We are going to the tomb to try to find our salvation and to try to find our savior, but our savior's not there how do we do this like where do we start how, how many ways do we look 
to, to get life out of things that actually bring death. I thought, you know, just about top three. Well, let's go with the top three. How about health, wealth, and happiness? These are three, three ways that we try to find life and things that won't save us and actually are just going to bring death. Think about health. How, how much overemphasis is put on our health? Everybody is on a crazy diet. Everybody's doing crazy stuff so that, so that they can extend their life a little bit longer, so they can, so they can live a, a little bit better, right? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, uh, you know, what's the, what's the craziest thing we can come up with? Um, I'm going uh, well, to go keto. I'm going to go organic, non-GMO. Uh, I'm going to do the um, prolonged fast every other week, you know, like add all these things up to try to extend my life a little bit because I'm, I'm so worried about my health and I'm looking for my health to save me. And you're just going to maybe extend your life a few days by getting more healthy. Certainly getting healthy isn't a sin, and it's not a bad thing to, to pay attention to that, but to, be, to overemphasize that, to be looking for your salvation in that so you can extend your life a few days is ridiculous. There are more important things to think about. I got a buddy, not really a buddy, he's a, a, a colleague, we should say, named Tom, who went to meet with his aunt who was on her deathbed. She was in her 90s, and he went to his aunt and said, um, aunt, you know, I forget, I don't know what her name was, uh, can you give me some wisdom? What, what kind of wisdom do you got for me? Uh, and she said, Tom, live a little harder. You don't want to live this long, okay? <laughs> this is not worth it. All, all the work to, to live a long life, and then you get there, and you're like, this was not worth it. I should have been eating steak and smoking cigarettes the whole time, you know? <laughs> maybe not, maybe not smoking cigarettes. COVID certainly made this an issue, didn't it? Oh, man, the health. Everybody's uh, the health of the world, the health of the, the nation. I mean, we see that in the vaccine, you know, issue. Pro-vaccine and anti-vaccine. Some people think the vaccine is the solution to all our problems. You know, if, we, if everybody would just get a vaccine, none of this would ever happen. And I got a vaccine right before I got COVID. I I don't know that it is the answer to all our problems, but it's also, you know, the vaccine is also not the end of the world either. But people get so hot and bothered by, by either issue, you're just overemphasizing the health of the issue. We're looking in the tomb for things to save us, and we're looking for, in the tomb for our Savior, and he's not there. He's outside the tomb. It's not health that's going to save you. So how about wealth? Maybe wealth will do it. I remember thinking one time, if I could just make 50 grand, if I could just make 50,000 bucks in a year, then ah, I could take a deep breath and, and I would be set. The, the family would be set. And then you make 50,000 and you think, who can live on $50,000 a year? This is crazy. Can't afford anything at 50,000, say, and it's 100 or you know, 250 or 500 or whatever. I'm a financial advisor. Most of you probably know that. So I see... Um, people's goals for how much they want to save for retirement. And a million bucks is a nice round number, so people think, if I could just get a million bucks, if I could just get a million bucks, then I'd be set. And they reach that goal, and they retire, and they're like, yes, okay, I've got a million bucks. Then the stock market gets a little festive, 
like it has this year, and their million bucks drops to 900000 And then who do they call? They call their financial advisor and say, Tim, I'm not happy. And I don't say this because I'm a professional, but I'm thinking, what, do you think I'm happy about this? Give me a break. I just got that call the other day from somebody. You get a million bucks, and then what? I need two million just in case it falls. I'd be, two million, then I'll be set. No, 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 maybe 10 million. Maybe, I mean, like, it's never enough. Wealth is a way for us to look in the tomb and try to get life out of things that actually bring death. Rockefeller, if you, you know, like the Rockefeller Center guy, he was like the original Elon Musk. He owned uh, Standard Oil and was the richest guy in the, in the nation. Somebody asked him one time, I don't know when this was, probably 100 years ago or something. Said, Mr. Rockefeller, how much is enough money? How much money is enough? And he said, just a little bit more. <laughs> just a little bit more and then I'll be good. It's true of wealth. It's also true of happiness. Okay, health, wealth, and happiness. Just a little bit more. If I could just be a little bit happier. I just, wanna, I just want to achieve complete and total bliss. <laughs> Is that too much to ask? I just want to be perfectly content and happy all the time. Like, is that a reality? As long as you live here? Certainly, as long as you turn on the news, that's not going to work. That's not going to happen. Well, if I could just find a spouse... There's nothing wrong with a spouse. But when, when you're hanging your hat on that, when you're looking for that to save you, you're looking in the tomb for a savior and he's not there. You get a spouse and you're like, I wish I had a better spouse, maybe. <laughs> I, I don't think that. Don't, don't make that. It's Holly that thinks that. <laughs> I wish we had kids. You know, kids would... That would be the best. And then you're like, I wish I had less kids. <laughs> it's endless, right? All, you know, all these different ways that we try to find our salvation and our savior. We're looking in the tomb for life. And how foolish is that? We got to turn. We got to turn from the tomb and look outside the tomb. Our savior is not in the tomb. He's outside the tomb. He's alive and he's well. And he's just waiting for us. Like my coach, like, when is this kid going to figure out that he didn't lose? You know, you won. Like, just can you acknowledge that we have victory in the resurrected Jesus? I'm sorry, my notes are a mess. Let me figure out where I'm at. Wait for it. Wait for it. <laughs> when I ask you, that, or when I tell you that, when any of us up here tell you that, like your salvation is not in stuff like health, wealth, and happiness, what do you think? What do you think about that? When we say, that's not your salvation, your salvation is in Jesus, in the risen, resurrected Jesus. Do you believe that? Or, or is there a little bit of uncertainty there? Like, eh, I hear you saying that. I want to believe it, but do we believe it? Or are we like the disciples and we think it sounds kind of like a fairy tale? And maybe we just straight up don't believe. Let's pick up verse 9. We're going to see what, how the disciples, um, you know, respond to the gals in just a second. 
and returning from the tomb. So these, these are the, the women who saw that Jesus was not in the tomb. They, they heard the angels said, he's not here, he's risen, remember? So they go back to tell the apostles, I guess is what it says. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to all of the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. They were like, he what? He's not there anymore? Angels told you he's resurrected, huh? Okay, sounds like a fairy tale. And they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. First of all, side note, how epic is it that God chose, chose to reveal the resurrection to a group of women, to a group of females? Females were discriminated against back then. Their testimony was not allowed in a trial, but God chose to reveal it to them first. I mean, like, if you're a female, you should be like, yeah, we got there first. The guys are all hiding, and we got to see it first, like... How great is, I mean, you don't have to be a female. I guess you could appreciate it as a guy too, but I just think that's so cool that that's, that's who he revealed that to first. Okay, so the ladies tried to tell them, and what do they say? They say it's a fairy tale. It's, a, it's an idle tale, um, and, and they did not believe them. And Peter, good old Peter, gets up and he runs to the tomb. And what does Peter do? He stoops in, like so he runs to the tomb and he stoops in and looks at the linen cloth. Like, what you looking for, Peter? <laughs> like, is he looking for a shrunken Jesus or something? Like, where is, are you sure he's not here? He's like looking in every nook and cranny to see if Jesus is in the tomb. Peter is awesome. Peter is the example uh, of us when we hear the gospel and we don't believe it and we say, yeah, sounds like a fairy tale, I'm gonna go ahead and try every other option. I'm gonna exhaust every other way of saving myself before I actually believe in the gospel. I am Peter. I don't know about you guys, okay? I heard the gospel growing up. I heard about the resurrection growing up. I saw people raising their hands in church and it was like, is that real? Can that really be true? I don't know. It seems kind of like a fairy tale. Seems kind of fake. And so I would try every different avenue to save myself. Started with partying, started with drinking, started with, you know, getting crazy. And then that didn't seem to do it. So I, I need to work out. I need to start lifting. I need to get healthy. Or, or I did a couple triathlons. Maybe triathlons will do it. No, that wasn't super fulfilling. That actually was terrible, but... Not triathlons, maybe if I, maybe if I you know, get into finance and I, and I build a business, maybe if I make some money, maybe that should do it. Maybe if I settle down, maybe if I have some kids, maybe if I start giving back, maybe if I join a church and help out, maybe if we plant a church, maybe if I preach the greatest sermon of all time and people get saved like, like crazy, maybe then I'll be satisfied. It's all Looking in the tomb for life 
And it's not there. Our Savior's not there. Our salvation is not there. My victory is not in the tomb. It's outside of the tomb. He's alive and well, and he's waiting us to turn from the tomb to him and his resurrection for our victory. Can you imagine what these followers of Jesus are going through? They just saw Jesus on the cross. They just saw him in the tomb, and now they're starting to figure it out. Now they're starting to, now they're starting to like, oh my gosh, you mean we haven't, we haven't lost everything? And then, and then the verses start coming back to them. They're remembering what Jesus, they weren't verses back there, it was just Jesus' words were coming back to them. Wait, I have the authority to lay my life down and to pick it back up again? Isn't that what he said? Wait, didn't he say, uh, I, tear this temple down and in three days I'll rebuild it? Wait a second, you know, and, and they start remembering and they start like, they, they, they start to believe and then Peter marvels. He left that tomb marveling at what he'd seen like, no way, can you imagine? And like I said, the rest of the New Testament is them like leading some incredible ministry they don't care about their health. They don't care about their wealth. They just, the people need to know about the victory of the risen Jesus. People need to know that Jesus fought the battle and he won. He accomplished what he set out to do. He came to live the life, the perfect life. He came to, to uh, go toe-to-toe with the religious jerks of the day. He came to... Um, uh, die a brutal death, to be, to be beat up, to be tortured, to bleed, then to die that brutal death, and then he killed death. He conquered death. He's no longer in the tomb. He doesn't need the linen cloths anymore. He doesn't need the spices. He's outside the tomb. He has victory over death. He endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. He endured the, the horrific beatings. He endured the tomb for the joy that was set before him. That joy is us. Now he gets to sit back, starting on that Easter Sunday. Can you imagine? <sighs> Take a deep breath, step out of the tomb. I exactly know how this went down, but like, <laughs> rolled the stone away, like, steps out and like, <sighs> sacrifice is done. My work is done. Now I get to sit back and enjoy the fruits of what I just did. The blood, the sweat, the tears, it's all going to be worth it now. This is the joy that was set before him. He gets to sit back. He's still sitting back watching us, watching us make the turn from uncertainty to victory, watching, watching all this. What joy does Jesus have? I think it might be a little bit like what joy President Zelensky from Ukraine would have. Track with me for a second. What if Zelensky, right, he's the hero of the moment, right? If you watch the news, you can't, you can't help but see him. He's a stud, like, staying in Ukraine, fighting the fight. He's not running away. 
What if he actually got victory in Ukraine? What if he was able to hold off the Russians? What if he was able to, to lead his nation to freedom from, the, from the, the terrorists of Russia? What kind of joy would he have when he walks down the street and he sees mother and child like walking like hand in hand, in safety and in freedom, not worried about bombs falling from the sky. What kind of joy would Zelensky have as he sees a business owner open up shop, caring for, for the citizens of Ukraine, trying to make an income to feed the family? What kind of joy would he have if, a, if an elementary school gets reopened? What kind of joy is he gonna have as the construction guys rebuild that country? Like, can you even imagine how tall he would stand? He's actually not a tall guy. He's only 5'7", which is... Partly why I like him too. <laughs> like, dude, he's just like my size. Let's do this, man. Looks taller in the video. What kind of joy would this guy have? And likewise, what kind of joy will the people of Ukraine have for Zelensky when they see him walking down the road like, boy, Zelensky, yeah. How sweet would that be? How many statues of him will there be in Ukraine if they're able to pull off this unbelievable victory and, and hold off the Russians? How much more joy does Jesus have over his battle? He didn't lead the battle. He, he earned the victory all on his own. And he saved, I don't know, was it billions of lives? What kind of joy does he have for us and what kind of joy do we have for him? Do you see this? You see it's a two-way street? We gotta read Romans 6, 5 again. Josh read it for us earlier. I'm reading it again. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. His resurrection is our resurrection. His victory is our victory because he was fighting for us. We are connected. We are united, it says, in this resurrection. That is amazing. That is the turn from uncertainty, I don't know, sounds crazy, to, to coming full circle and seeing like, Oh my gosh, his victory is my victory. His joy is my joy. This is how we, uh, we stop looking for the living among the dead. This is how we, we get out of the tomb. Stop looking to try to save ourselves from all the ridiculous things that the world is offering as salvation for us health, wealth, and, and happiness, and the list goes, goes on and on. Stop looking for the living among the dead, and let's start looking for life in the resurrection. Let me pray for us. Father, we just want to come again and praise you for this epic story um, that you have written. We thank you for the sacrifice of your son.
We thank you that he fought the battle and he won the war. We, we pray that we would see the, the resurrection. We pray that we would see the victory in its fullness or, or, or at least see it a little more for what it is. It's incredible. It is about us, but it was all Jesus that, that won that war. Pray that we would we, we could just contemplate the joy that Jesus would have and we would see that the, our joy is his joy. Our victory is his victory. Our resurrection, his resurrection is our resurrection. God, I pray that um, we, would, we would understand it a little bit more and it would become a little clearer to us how epic this Easter Sunday was. And I pray that we would go out like the apostles, like the disciples who, who went out in the entire New Testament and just started saving people through the power, through your power and the Holy Spirit. I pray that we would do the same thing. That we would be on a mission not to, not to save ourselves through health, wealth, and happiness, but resurrection or maybe explaining it to them for the first time so that they can see that their victory is in Jesus' victory. We love you, Father. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Invite the, the ushers forward when we jump up and grab some communion and then I'll talk you through it here in just a second.